Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, a smooth-talking, power-hungry man named Abimelech convinces the men of Shechem to betray and slaughter Gideon's descendants. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 9, verse 1. The title of the message is, Where Are You Leaning? There are times you read your Bible sometimes and you go, what was that? Sometimes you read it and go, why is that there? And chapter 9 sometimes can evoke some of those thoughts. But it is here for a reason. All scriptures are given by inspiration. And our goal is to figure what that reason is. So Judges, chapter 9. Now, the whole theme of the book of Judges is it shows us why we need the king of kings, why even good leaders are not necessarily going to be the full answer. And chapter 9 is an example of what happens when we have bad leaders. But Gideon, who was a great man, did not finish well. We left him in chapter 8, where he turned down a kingdom, but embraced a celebrity lifestyle. So even though it didn't draw his heart away from the Lord that he did that, it had a massive impact upon his children, one son in particular, Abimelech. See, through following the Lord, Gideon had learned not to lean on his own understanding, but to trust the Lord. But how many of his kids saw that part of his life? None. The only thing they saw in his life was the celebrity lifestyle, which means we need to ask ourselves the question, is my current relationship with the Lord, am I leaning on him now, or does that describe my past relationship with the Lord? Who are we leaning on? What are we leaning on? Where are we leaning right now? That's the question we need to ask so we don't end like Gideon and we don't become like Abimelech. So chapter 9, we begin in verse 1. And Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren and communed with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Speak, I pray, in the ears of all the men of Shechem. Whether is better for you, either that all the sons of Jeroboam, which are threescore and ten persons, reign over you, or that one reign over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh." We met Abimelech in chapter 8, just as he was one of Gideon's 70 sons. His name means, my father is king. It's kind of a strange name to give your son when you're not a king, isn't it? My father's the king. Now, it's possible that Gideon named him this because God was their king, and he wanted everyone to know that. That's very possible. However, Abimelech did not see it that way. It mentions here, and Abimelech, the son of Gideon, who does it call him? The son of Jeroboam. That was Gideon's celebrity name, the God killer. The one who tore down the altar of Baal and sacrificed to the Lord on the wood of the Asherah pole that had been worshipped in his hometown. Built an altar to the Lord there. The God killer. That's who he sees himself as. The celebrity. I'm Abimelech, the son of the king, the son of the celebrity. He went unto Shechem unto his mother's brethren. Now, Judges 8.31 shows us that Gideon had a lot of wives, and it's very likely that Gideon, being the celebrity, had a woman in all sorts of cities. 
Abimelech's mother was one such woman from the city of Shechem. And so after his dad dies, he goes to visit his mother's family there in Shechem. Abimelech grew up in Orpha, Gideon's hometown, with his 69 brothers, who knows how many sisters. But when Gideon dies, he travels to visit his mother's family with nefarious plans. He says to them, speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, and ask them this, which is better for you? Either that all the sons of Jeroboam, it's 70 people, reign over you, or that just one of them. And by the way, keep in mind that I'm your flesh and bones. I will look out for you first. Now, Shechem is an ancient city in Israel. It was situated on the slope of Mount Ebal. Its central location there in the valley, right in the valley that goes right through the central hilllands of Ephraim, makes it the primary path for the trade routes that run both north and south, as well as east and west. In addition to this, it was a thriving city full of not just Jews, but Canaanites. Ephraim did not completely drive out the Canaanites in Shechem, so you had Israelis living side by side with pagans. That will become important later in the chapter. Now, it's interesting, he says here, which is better for you, that 70 of Gideon's sons reign over you or just one? See, Gideon was a judge, but he acted like a king and others treated him as such. And so in Abimelech's mind, it just seemed natural that now Gideon's dead, his children will succeed him. And so under this assumption, Abimelech tells his family to spread the word in Shechem that he'd make their well-being a priority if he alone was king. So verse 3, his mother's brethren, they spoke of him, about him, in the ears of all the men of Shechem. All these words, man, Gideon's dead, but he's got 70 kids. We're going to have just all of them reigning over us? We have one of our own, one of his kids. He'll look out for us. How about we make him king? For they said he is our brother. It says the hearts of the people of Shechem inclined to follow Abimelech, to get behind him, to give him their support. For they said he is our brother. And so what was their solution? They gave him three score and ten pieces of silver, 70 pieces of silver, out of the house of Baal Barith, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons which followed him. Now, Judges 8.33 tells us that as soon as Gideon died, the nation went right back to idols. And Baal was one of the main idols they went back to. And from the offerings that had been given to this idol, the people of Shechem finance Abimelech's election plans. And so with that money, it says he hired vain persons, vain and light persons. The word vain means troublemakers, scoundrels, those with no moral character. The word light persons means arrogant, disrespectful, not inhibited by morals or laws. These men would do anything if the price was right. And that's exactly what Abimelech needs for his plans to work. Verse 5, And he went unto his father's house at Ophrah, and he slew his brethren, the sons of Jeroboam, being seventy persons, threescore and ten persons, upon one stone. They were not murdered in their sleep. They weren't killed on the battlefield. This was a formal execution at a stone where they were brought one by one and executed. However, notwithstanding, it says, yet Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left. It means he escaped, he survived, for he hid himself. Now, I don't think Abimelech forgot how to count. I don't think he forgot one of his brothers. I know 70's a lot. I forget the names of my kids sometimes because I can't get them right when I try to get their attention. I only have six, so I get that. But it's not like he just forgot he had another brother. And I'm sure they counted the bodies. 
He simply didn't think the young man could do anything to stop him at this point. And so verse 6, he's going to be elected by default. And all the men of Shechem gathered together and all the house of Milo, and they went and they made Abimelech king by the plain of the pillar that was in Shechem. Now, the house of Milo means the house of the fill. The fill was a term that they would use for the huge earthen platforms which palaces or fortresses were built on. So this would be like a clay platform or a dirt platform they build, and then they put the palace on top of that to make it more difficult to assault it. So Shechem, being an ancient city, had one of those mounds, and the fortified city there where the leaders lived was on that part of the city. And so basically the idea here is all the bigwigs of Shechem come out for the coronation. It's not just the people that are family to him, it's everybody. The whole city is behind him. And they come out and they do it, it says, by the plain of the pillar. The word there, plain, means by the massive tree next to the pillar that was in Shechem. Next to the word pillar means a monument stone. There's only one monument stone there by a tree in Shechem. And that is the one that we see in Joshua, which he set up where Israel renewed their covenant with God when they came into the land. Where they defeated Jericho, they defeated Ai, and then right after that, instead of conquering the rest of the land, they went right to the valley between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Shechem lies at the base of Mount Ebal. And there they uttered the whole law and the blessings and the curses if Israel would obey or if they would disobey the Lord. And what Joshua did is he set up a huge monument stone that had all the laws written on it so that it would be a reminder that they had made this covenant with the Lord. So he comes to this stone, this incredible place in Israel's history to be coronated as king. Perhaps they thought this would make the coronation legitimate by doing it in the same site of this historical moment. I don't know. Whatever it was, it shows how far Israel had fallen in just a few centuries, though, since Joshua's death. That day when Joshua and Israel made a covenant with the Lord, that was a day about Israel pledging their loyalty to him as their king, not any man as their king, that they would obey his laws moving forward. To make this the site for the coronation of a murderer, someone who committed fratricide, killed all of his siblings so he could be king, was an abomination. And yet, it is in this way that Abimelech becomes the first man in Israel to bear the title of king. I've heard people say Abimelech was really the first king of Israel, but I really don't think that many people recognize him. The only people here are the people of Shechem. Now, some people did because later on we're going to see that at least Ephraim and his tribe of Manasseh are looking to him as king. So, Some of the tribes did look to him as king. I don't think all of them did because this is a very specific locale where all this story takes place. And yet, he's the first one to bear title of king in Israel. Now, there is one who speaks out against it, and it's the surviving son of Gideon, Jotham, verse 7. And when they told it to Jotham that he was going to be coronated there, he went and he stood in the top of Mount Gerizim. Gerizim is about an 800-foot-high slope south of Shechem, where the Israelites called those blessings and curses upon each other in their recommitment to the Lord. It's the other side of the valley. So he's a bit of a distance from them, but the area there creates a bowl where you can hear voices. Jesus, when he taught, he was often in these environments, so that's why thousands of people could hear him. And so he's there on the top of Mount Gerizim, and he lifted up his voice, and he cried and said unto them, Hearken unto me, you men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. Listen to me, and then if after listening to me, you present your argument to God that this is okay. Jotham 
utters his curse upon everybody here, calling God as a witness if he's speaking inaccurately or unfairly. And his curse takes the form of a story, a parable. Verse 8. He says, listen to me, and let God listen to you if I'm not right. He says, the trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them. And so they said unto the olive tree, you reign over us. But the olive tree said unto them, should I leave my fatness wherewith by me? They honor God and man. Things are good. We're doing it the right way. Why should I leave my fatness to go be promoted over you guys, the trees? I don't need that. Everything's right. This is the way it should be. So the trees said to the fig tree, verse 10, will you come and reign over us? But the fig tree said unto them, should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go to be promoted over you guys? That doesn't sound right. So then the trees said unto the vine, come thou and reign over us. But the vine said unto them, should I leave my wine, which cheers God and man and go to be promoted over the trees? Again, it doesn't sound right. The way things are right now sound right. So then said all the trees unto the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, if in truth you anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. But if you're not sincere, then let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. So this is his little story here that he tells. The trees here represent the people of Israel because the olive tree, the fig tree, and the vine, they're all symbols of the nation of Israel. And so the idea here is you have the trees, the people of Israel coming to their leaders and saying, you be our king. And they all turn them down. Certainly Gideon's in mind here, but it likely refers to multiple attempts by the people to make a leader their king. It is no surprise that they come to Samuel's day and when Samuel's kids are not very godly men, they come to him and they go, we want a king like everybody else. It wasn't a new idea. Tried it with Gideon. They probably tried it with other people. So he tells this story, he goes, we've been trying to do this for years and everybody turned you down saying, not a good idea. God's way is good. Things are good. Follow the Lord. Why should we switch it up? That I would be promoted over you guys. We don't need that. God is our king. But these leaders, even though they were happy with the role God gave them and they saw no need to change the concept that God was their king, the people weren't satisfied. And so eventually they come to, it says, a bramble, a thorn bush. Now, thorn bush is very different than a fig tree, a vine, or a olive tree. A bramble bush, a thorn bush produces no fruit. It's only good for firewood. Olive trees, fig trees, vines, they provide sustenance. Thorns destroy. So the idea is since no good men were found to take this offer up, the people turned to a worthless man, Abimelech. And he makes promises he can't keep, which will result in their destruction. Verse 15. And the bramble said to the trees, well, if in truth, I mean, if honesty and integrity, you're making me your king, well, then you can come and put your trust in my shadow and I'll take care of you. Now, <laughs> he's being a little facetious here, of course, because how could anyone think they were honest when they gave Abimelech murder money from an idol's temple? There's no honesty or integrity going on here. Their new king will never trust them and their new king will not take care of them as he promises. Instead, things will go badly for it says, if not, because they had started the kingdom, not with honesty and integrity, but with lies and murder. So if not, well, then fire is going to come forth from this bramble and it's going to destroy the cedars of Lebanon, not just you, but it's going to destroy other people as well. So this is the curse. This thorn brush, this worthless man that you've made king, he's going to be your undoing in the end. He'll end up destroying you, O people of Shechem. 
Now, therefore, he says, verse 16, he gives his interpretation. If you have done truly and sincerely, if you've done innocently in, in that you have made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house, his family, and have done unto him according to the deserving of his hands, if you have treated him in the same way that he showed you kindness, the deserving of his hands means the kindness his hands showed you. Verse 17 explains what Gideon did. For my father fought for you. He had ventured his life far and delivered you out of the hand of the Midianites. But you have risen up against my father's house this day. You've slain his sons, threescore and ten persons upon one stone. And you've made Abimelech the son of his maidservant king over the men of Shechem because he is your brother. He lays it out there. He says, my father risked his life. The word there, adventured, means to throw away. He threw away his life. I imagine that many people thought taking on 135,000 with 300 probably thought it was throwing away his life. He threw away his life for you guys. And this is how you repay him and his family? This is how you repay that kindness? You murder them? After reminding the people what Gideon did for them and how they had treated Gideon's family, Jotham repeats his question and repronounces his curse in verse 19. If you have then dwelt truly and sincerely, if you're innocent with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then go ahead and rejoice in Abimelech. And let him also rejoice in you. I hope things are great. But if that's not true, then let fire come forth out from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and the house of Milo. And let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from the house of Milo and devour Abimelech. Hope you all just kill each other. And then Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer. And we never hear from him again. He dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. Now, that's not exactly the coronation ceremony you're hoping for. You know, this is an ominous start to a king's reign with lots of news coming down about the negatives there. This is the exact opposite of a celebration toast. But things seem to go fine for three years, verse 22. And when Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel, seems like things start off good, right? I'm going to stop there for a second. Here's the danger of leaning on your own understanding. Things don't necessarily fall apart right away. That's the danger. That's what people do. That's what I do. I'll do it my way. And then you wait around, wait for the lightning bolt, and you're like, ha-ha, I'm okay. I won't do that again. But then what happens? The temptation comes again. It worked out last time. And then before you know it, it's just the way you live. And it just becomes a part of your life because there's no, there's no negatives that are coming at you to deter you from doing that even though all the way God has set speed bumps. God puts speed bumps in front of Abimelech. There's a real big one. It was called, thou shalt not kill. And so he'll do that. He'll remind us of his word. He'll remind us of his promises. Put speed bumps in our way. But not necessarily judgment immediately when we cross the line. See, that's the danger. You say, well, why doesn't he do that right away? Same reason God didn't judge the nation the instant they went back to idols. Because it's God's what that leads us to repentance? His kindness. His kindness. He doesn't want to judge us. He wants us to repent, and he gives us space to do so. But if you interpret his kindness as indifference, or even worse, as permission, eventually God has to deal with you. And so for three years, God was kind to Abimelech trying to grab hold of his heart, trying to draw him back. He was kind to the people of Shechem, trying to bring them back to him. But they don't. 
They think everything's fine. So verse 23, after three years then, God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. Why did God do this? That the cruelty done to the threescore and ten sons of Jeroboam might come, might return to them, and their blood, their bloodshed, be laid upon Abimelech, their brother who slew them, and upon the men of Shechem who aided him in the killing of his brothers. There was a guilt there, a blood guilt, that had to be punished, had to be dealt with, had to be judged. Now, we read this, and it probably is a little bit uncomfortable in the King James when it says, then God sent an evil spirit. I mean, that kind of sounds a little bit out of the character of God. The word sent does mean to dispatch or send out. However, it can also mean to set free, to let go, to release. Now, since God doesn't tempt anyone, James 1.13 tells us that. He does not tempt anyone, neither is he tempted by man. Man is drawn away always by his own evil. So God doesn't tempt anyone to do evil. Since God has no darkness in him at all, 1 John 1.5, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And since God is not the author of confusion, 1 Corinthians 14.33, he cannot in any way be the author of evil. There's a verse that sometimes people will point to and go, yeah, but in Isaiah chapter, I think it's 34, it says that God is the one that brings evil. No, look up that word evil. It means calamity. The word refers to judgment, the idea of when bad things happen. God sometimes is the author of those things. But God is never the author of evil. Never. He cannot in any way be the author of evil. And thus, instead of looking at it as to dispatch or send out, we have to grab the second meaning. That's the only thing that can make sense here, to set free, to let go or release. So God set free or released an evil spirit to go come between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. Now, the evil spirit here is what it, you think it is. It's a fallen angel. They cannot do anything without God's permission. So if they're going to do something, he has to release them to do so. And so that's what God does here. Now, the start of Abimelech's reign was the perfect cauldron for problems. I mean, why would you trust a guy who murdered his own family? Can I go on a little bit of a side? If, perchance, you have a coworker, neighbor, friend, and they approach you, you're married, or they're married, and they approach you and they say, I'm not in love with my spouse anymore. I love you, and I'll be faithful to you, and I'll be loyal to you. So come with me. Don't ever believe them. Because if they're not faithful to their vows before God, what makes you think they'll be faithful to you? I can't tell you how many times I've counseled people in that situation. They go, but we love each other. And I look at them and I go, no, you don't. You're selfish. And you'll be in this only as long as whatever needs you think you have are being met. And when it doesn't meet those needs anymore, you'll move on to something else. You don't love each other. You have a mutual use agreement. So please, I know sometimes, if, especially if you're not married or if you're in a lonely marriage, it can be hard. But don't listen to those lies. Satan, he is a murderer and he loves to destroy lives. So my guess is that the other fallen angels are similar. And up to this point, God had held that angel back, but no more. Now God has to deal with him. And so this angel is set free to do his thing, to come between, to stir up trouble between these two factions. And so it mentions here that the men of Shechem, as a result of the influence of this fallen angel, they dealt treacherously, they betrayed Abimelech. Now, verse 24 explains why God allowed this. 
You see, if we refuse to repent, there must be consequences. And so it says, so that the cruelty, the wrong, the injustice that had been done to all of Gideon's other sons would be laid upon Abimelech, their brother who slew them, and upon the men of Shechem who funded him. That is not something I want to walk around with. I don't want to walk around with that laid on me because I know what I deserve because of that. Abimelech and these men of Shechem, they had it on them. And eventually, eventually, that burden will break you. And so the Lord deals with them because of what they had done. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Thy strong on me will save.